there is a story about a friend's grandfather who had several near-death experiences. The first was when he was serving in the Second World War, and he and one of his army buddies decided to go joyriding with an army vehicle, and the vehicle went off a cliff, and the friend died, but Grandpa didn't. And a few short weeks later, he was involved in a training exercise when a stray bullet went right for him. But timing had it that he had ducked down to pick up a cigarette that he had dropped. And the bullet flew right over him. After the war, a man came, the man came back to the United States and he married and started a job that required him to take a train daily into the city. And one day, while on that train, another train rear-ended it, and 78 people died. But not Grandpa. The man climbed out of the train window and stumbled to a nearby payphone and called his wife for a ride home. Death left him alone for a while after that. But there's nothing like near-death experiences, or even three, to help you realize just how precious life is. I'm sure we have all had near misses in life. A car accident that could have killed us. A battle with a severe illness that leaves us grateful for a second chance. And the first half of our story this morning, Jesus is capitalizing on a memory of some recent horrors in the community. And he does this to stress the unpredictability of life. Not everyone gets a second chance. The first story that Jesus is recounting is about a recent atrocity that would have been well known to the disciples. How Pontius Pilate had murdered a group of Galilean pilgrims as they were making sacrifices in the temple. And the second shocking story, again, tragedy from local news known to his hearers about a tower that had fallen on innocent bystanders killing them. And Jesus asked, do you think that they were worse offenders than anyone else living in Jerusalem? No. But unless you, will, unless you repent, you will perish just as they did. Too often, our culture, and unfortunately many preachers, like to equate unfortunate events with sin and punishment. We try to make sense of why things happen, and particularly bad things. When hurricanes hit or a fire destroys a community, we hear that it's because God is angry, that a country has strayed from its Christian roots. And these are not fair assumptions 
but they do provide a way of distancing ourselves from the pain of others. When something bad happens, we make a bargain with God that if we live a relatively ordered and cautious life, then we will be safe from asteroids or terrorism or disease. And when misfortune does happen to us or those we love, we suddenly become a theologian and asking God, why do bad things happen to good people? I know it's difficult to accept that stuff happens. Bad things happen to good people and to bad people. And no matter who we are or what we have done, none of us are free from the calamities of life. And so our story today encourages us to consider what we do with this one precious life. Second chance or not. And Jesus stresses that we shouldn't wait for second chances. When a world of possibilities are at our fingertips, what are we going to do with it? Today, we hear Jesus tell the story of the fig tree. The fig tree has not done much. It hasn't lived up to its promise. A man, Jesus says, has a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and when he came looking for fruit on it, he, he found none. So he says to the gardener, see here. It hasn't produced anything for three years, and so I want you to cut it down. And the gardener replies and insists, just let me work with it for one more year, and I know it's going to produce fruit. And if it doesn't, then you can cut it down. Now, I'm somewhat of a connoisseur of figs. And by that, I mean I love fresh figs. I used to have a fig tree back in North Carolina. I can spot a fig tree from about 100 yards away. Did so yesterday. And I once wrote a paper in seminary about how fig trees and figs are Christ-like because they defy the market economy. Something to know about fig trees? They are really, really finicky. They don't often bear fruit for the first several years. And if they do, it's real slim pickings. And you have to compete with the birds and the ants. So honestly, this story begs a lot of questions for me. How long has this fig tree been around? Is it new? Is it diseased? What about the weather? Has the weather been cooperating? Was there a harsh winter? And why is the landowner so impatient and so destructive? And of course, since this is a parable, we then have to ask ourselves, what does this story say about God? Is God the landowner and Jesus the gardener? And are we the fig tree? And if so, 
Why is God ready to smite us if we aren't bearing fruit? Are we expected to always bear fruit? It is the fruitful part that's a roadblock for me. As a woman, all I hear in the scripture from Genesis is to be fruitful and multiply. This expectation as a woman to bear a child, the knowing that in society this is where a woman's worth is derived, and a particularly in first century. But what if you can't bear children? What if you don't want to bear children? And maybe you can't relate to this part, okay, but there's still more to the fruitful roadblock. What do we do in those times in our lives when being fruitful, when being productive just seems like an impossibility? What do we do when we just can't? We can't because we're going through a really hard time. And nothing seems to be going right. When we are unemployed or money is tight. When we are strugg struggling to navigate the challenges of depression or mental illness. We would so love to get out of our own headspace, our own mud and muck of our lives, to focus on nurturing something good and beautiful and life-giving, but we just can't. Or what about as we grow older and our minds can no longer keep up with our bodies? What do we do when our body is plagued with cancer and our spirit is still so alive, but our body just can't keep up with our desires? What in the world does it mean to be fruitful in the midst of feeling lost? This text usually pops up during Lent, that time of 40 days leading up to Easter when we dedicate ourselves to deeper reflection and repentance. And often what is preached on in this story is that we only have so much time and we may or may not have a second chance. And so we must turn from our evil ways. We must repent. We must get our butt into gear or we're going to be judged. But what if we could open our minds to a different understanding of repentance? What if instead of a focus on self-condemnation and guilt, repentance focused on acknowledging our own suffering and pain? What if it was a movement toward building more self-worth than the voices in our heads have told us? 
Imagine repentance being about constant discovery. A willingness to discover who you are and who God is and what God desires for you in all phases of your life. What if in repentance we remember that no matter who we are, each one of us is vulnerable. Vulnerable to illness and destruction and bad luck and job loss and vocational chaos and floods and fires and trees falling on our house and loved ones dying. We are all vulnerable because we are all human. What if instead of distancing ourselves from the pain and placing blame on others, we repent by turning toward each other. That we embrace each other's pain. And therefore, being repentant, being fruitful, is about being fully human to each other. Jesus' life teaches us to do just that. Jesus' humanity led him to be vulnerable to every disease and every weakness and every injury and every danger. He never tried to be different from us or above the threat or distance himself from the misfortune. He chose to enter into the pain of others. He entered into the pain of the cross and in doing so became even more human. And Jesus was fully human to us. What might our lives look like if we chose to live in that way? To be fully vulnerable to ourselves and to each other. And a kind of vulnerability that cultivates compassion and empathy. Imagine audibly acknowledging to our spouse that something is wrong. Or choosing to stop chemo treatment for quality of life over quantity. Or making the courageous move to seek counseling. Or the courageous move to choosing to love. Or stepping out of our comfort zones to speak words to justice. Or choosing to forgive. These are all such difficult things, and yet it is a channel to living life to the fullest. This story is situated among lost parables. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, all stories about things being lost. 
but also about being found. And at first glance, it might not seem like this story is about being lost, but the parable of the fig tree is a story about making sure that one doesn't lose their life by not making the most of it. The pathway to being found is in being Christ-like, fully human to ourselves and fully human to each other. What might it look like if we are willing to be found? 